This is Channel 253. In this episode of Citizen Tacoma. I think that that's uh, often what gets lost when people want to paint paint our election procedures as being uh, blue or red right. um, is they lose track of the logic. Uh, there's, there's, there's a reason we do all of this, and, um, and certainly it's for the good of the voter. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. to Citizen Tacoma. I am your host, Eric Hanberg, and our guest today is your favorite county auditor and mine, Julie Anderson. We're going to catch up on uh, the state of voting in November 2021 nationally here in Washington. And then I ask the burning question about Secretary of State. So stick around. Well, we are here with another Citizen Tacoma interview with uh, County Auditor Julie Anderson, who I think is the most frequent guest on this podcast, for good reason, because you tell us what's happening about elections and voting and all these important things. So welcome back, Julie Anderson. Thank you. I want a punch card. A punch card, yes. And, After and, nine, you get a, fr- a free... Uh, uh, Doug? I get free, uh, something. Yeah, exactly. Um, we'll figure that one out. <laughs> well, well, welcome back. Well, thank you. And thanks for your election coverage. And by the way, thank you very much for all of those interviews you did with candidates. You know, our voter pamphlet rocks, but... But there's nothing quite like getting candidates on the air and letting them talk. Ask them questions for a half hour and you, you learn a lot. You learn a lot. So Absolutely. thank kudos to you guys. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to um, crash the show and talk a little bit about current events as it relates to voting rights and Voting Rights Act. And Yeah, lots uh, happening. Lots happening. Um, you know, uh, don't. Don't uh, put your heart in your throat. Everything's okay in Washington State for now, but uh, the 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 pot is getting warm in the United States, mm. and there's some uh, recent uh, congressional action, and then a court case that uh, gives us uh, should give us all pause for concern. Okay, well, why don't where do you want to start on that? Because well, those are uh, big topics, right? So I'd like to talk with you guys about uh, the Bernovich case out of Arizona that okay. was recently resolved in July, and then what's happening with the um, John Lewis Voting uh, Rights and Advancement Act, which saw some unfortunate action action on November third. Okay. Um, but let's. Uh, I think it would be helpful to get really grounded in the Voting Rights Act first of all. Yeah. So that famous, um, iconic nineteen sixty five um, legislation uh, that really uh, created federal regulation scheme f- uh, for enforcement of the Fifteenth Amendment. Um, it. It is known uh, popularly by Section 2, by Section 4, and Section 5. So really briefly, Section 2 basically makes it illegal, and it prohibits the federal government and the states from imposing or applying any kind of procedures or practices that would deny or abridge the right to vote of anybody on the basis of color um, or race. Okay. Section 4 is that formula that um, identifies geographic areas, jurisdictions that have a history of discrimination Hmm. and require them to 
Section 5, get pre-clearance from the Department of Justice before they make any changes to their electoral process to make sure that it doesn't abridge um, the rights of anybody's voting rights on the basis of sure. race or color. Okay. So um, Section 2 is the prohibition, Section 4 is the formula, and Section 5 is the preclearance or enforcement mechanism for DOJ. And importantly, Section 5, as originally written, requires all the burden of proof to be on the jurisdiction. They have to affirmatively, absolutely prove that the change that they're about to make will not abridge or um, threaten in any way um, somebody's right to vote. And this was uh, the law in the nation for at least 50 years, right? Uh, Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, a standard uh, that held us all um, in good stead and is not, in my opinion, onerous at all. Um, it is, I'm standing here as a Washington state election official to tell everybody, if you didn't already know, that uh, in, in enforcing the Voting Rights Act is uh, not onerous. It is not difficult, and it is completely harmonious with an, an accessible and expansive election process. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't jeopardize security at sure. all. So what changed? Well, well, a couple of things. So uh, let's make a pit stop to 1980. Um, that was a court case that the Supreme Court heard, the city of Mobile versus Bolden. And there, plaint- the court ruled that plaintiffs would have to show intentional discrimination to make a claim under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Intentional discrimination. That's a pretty high bar. Yeah, not just casual. What that meant was um, you can show us all the facts of disparate treatment. You can show us the different impact that's based on race and color. But Beyond that, you have to show that it was in the intent, in the heart of the mm. lawmaking body to have that effect. Um, you can imagine that that was a very high bar to meet and uh, not not consistent with the design of the Voting Rights Act. Right. So I'm, I'm telling you this story because shortly thereafter, two years later in 1982, Congress enacted acted by amending the Voting Rights Act, Section 2, and clearly established statute that was based on a results test for disparate impact and not an intent test. So it's Hmm. important to understand that the court can can misinterpret and Congress can clean things up by modifying a statute to overwrite that opinion. Okay. So... I think that we're all familiar with 2013, which is another major um, uh, point of uh, in the life of the Voting Rights Act, and that's Shelby versus Holden County. Um, excuse me, Shelby County versus Holden, um, <laughs> where uh, they invalidated the coverage formula. Uh, for Section 4. And as a result, it automatically eliminated Section 5. So Section 4 was the formula uh, establishing which jurisdictions had to be held to Section 5, which is the preclearance regulation by DOJ. That was thrown out the window. Yeah, by the Roberts Court. Correct. And after that, um, we saw... 400 and counting uh, restrictive voting laws enacted in the United States. Wow. Not enacted, proposed, and some actually have been enacted. Uh, voter ID laws, uh, cuts and rollbacks to early voting, etc. Um, and 
they were immediately challenged, but it was to lower courts uh, to rule on those, and they were all working their way through lower courts. Um, and many of them were challenged under Section 2 of the VRA. And so lower courts had to determine, uh, is there a disparate impact, and whether the challenged practice was um, interacting with the social and historic um, conditions uh, that caused the impact, so a legacy of racism. Um, and one other point about Section 2, it does call uh, for the totality of the circumstances and a really intensely local investigation. Um, in other words, evaluating conditions on the ground. So that's a normal part of the VRA uh, enforcement process and interpretation. So let's go to Brnovich, which is what got me all excited and why I picked up the phone and called you. <laughs> um, this was a court case that was filed. It, it, it had its birth in 2016, um, and it's about two Arizona practices. One is uh, what I call out-of-precinct ballots uh, being thrown out. So, okay. And then the other is uh, criminalizing the collection of anyone's ballots other than United States postal worker, election official, family member, a, a very, very short, narrow list. And it criminalized uh, transporting or handling somebody else's ballot. Wow. So those were the two uh, elements in Arizona that were challenged in court uh, starting in 2016. Um, and for those that may be listening um, and may be thinking, well, really, what's the impact there if people aren't organized enough to get to the right precinct and find the right polling place? Why should their votes count? Let's talk about the disparate impact. So uh, some of the findings in this court case were that those provisional out-of-precinct ballots were 11 times higher than in any other state. Yeah. And it landed on uh, BIPOC population two to one over white. So it absolutely had a disparate impact yeah. um, and was an abridgment of, the, I, in my opinion, the Equal Protection Clause. Sounds like it. Yep. Um, and then ballot collection, although the DNC um, was not able to prove that um, there was a disparate impact, um, we know anecdotally that the Native American and rural Latino communities depend on um, family members, community centers, churches to um, basically deliver mail, including their ballots. Yeah. Um, but the numbers weren't there in sufficient number to really um, uh, weigh in heavily in the case. Okay. So uh, district courts upheld those challenged practices, which is unfortunate, and it did make its way to the Supreme Court. Um, by the way, the GOP uh, joined in this suit with an amicus brief, and they said that um, – uh, any law that's a neutral time, place, and manner uh, is sufficient for an election law, and that Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act is on its face entirely unconstitutional. So their goal in this case was to get the um, Supreme Court to weigh in on the constitutionality of, of the Voting Rights Act and wow. throw out Section 2 entirely. So July of this year, um, the ruling came out and the Supreme Court uh, in six to three decision uh, ruled to uphold uh, these discriminatory practices. Okay. And uh, and here we are. Um, so I should note that this is the first time that this court has um, heard a voter denial case, a voting denial case. Um and by the way, I'm proud to have contributed to the amicus brief um, uh, for the respondents. Um, 
Yeah. And I think we put together some really powerful testimony from federal and local election officials from all over the country that these hmm. two practices were entirely unnecessary to prevent any fraud and were not uh, difficult to um, continue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about Justice Alito because he wrote the opinion for this court case. And he uh, talks a lot about um, equally open. So kind of a tip of the hat to the GOP's neutral time, place, manner. So equally open. And there's five elements that he put forward as guideposts. Now, he was very clear, the court was very clear that these, they were not creating tests for voting rights. They were um, signaling guideposts. Okay. Gosh, your viewers can't see my facial expressions, can they? <laughs> okay. Um, there were five. There are five. Your tone captures it. There, there are five. There are five elements. So one is the size of the burden imposed on the voter. And Justice Alito, and I'm I, I'm paraphrasing throughout our chat here, uh, talked about ordinary burdens and mere inconvenience are not enough. Okay. The second is how far the practice departs from what was in existence in 1982 when Congress amended the VRA. Remember how they stepped in right. after the, um, the Mobile case? Mm -hmm. So what, what were conditions on the ground like in 1982? And how far does the um, challenged practice go or deviate since 1982? Why do we care about that? I, we do not. We, we do not know. And I want you to think about 1982 and how long ago that was. Uh, Washington State wasn't even we didn't have any vote by mail and absentee ballots. I don't even think we had absentee ballots except for perhaps military. Um, and in 1982 is when we were wearing leg warmers and when we were listening to. And when we thought Tootsie was a fabulous movie okay, about— Okay, it still is, just to be clear. Uh, no? It's not? Uh, oh, wow. That'll be another podcast. Okay. <laughs> it's also—1982 was also the year that we discovered that we could use um, characters on a keyboard to make a smiley face. <laughs> so a lot, has, a lot has changed. But what Justice Alito seems to be implying is that um, you can roll things back as far as to 1982, and it's just fine. Okay, but that was that was his second guidepost. The third guide guidepost that was a step that he uh, opined on was that the size of the disparity between the minority and non-minority communities. So, and then um, four to consider the state's entire electoral process, and if one thing is eliminated, aka uh, having your ballots handled by somebody sure. or something. If one thing is rolled back, um, then what else is in its place that might provide voting access? Okay. Um, and that you can't challenge the challenge practice in isolation. And his fifth guidepost is to take into account the state's interests. Um, and why are they adopting the challenged practice? And Alito really specifically emphasized the need to prevent fraud. And really bought in uh, to Arizona's argument that uh, elections had to be free and without undue influence. Um, 
Even though voter fraud is an exceedingly rare thing in the United States. Uh, Right. And they were able to produce no evidence that um, uh, carrying somebody's ballot to a post office box or the election center was creating um, undue interference or any kind of fraud. For example, that was the rationale for throwing out the um, out-of-precinct ballots. So all of this together is going to make it um, a lot more difficult for any state uh, to um, challenge practices that are um, uh, infringing on people's voting rights. And especially when virtually all of the states did expand election procedures since 1982. Um, But there is some hope uh, in this case. Um, One, we've got to say that, um, thank goodness, the court didn't um, enshrine these as tests. And they did say that these were just guideposts. But it's going to be really hard for lower courts to ignore guideposts from the Supreme Court. Um, And two, the court didn't opine on the constitutionality of Section 2, even though the GOP wanted them to. That seems good. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... uh, mm, um, We can still pull a 1982 and have Congress <laughs> rewrite statute and refresh the Voting Rights Act uh, to um, clarify for the Supreme Court what their intentions are. Make new laws. Make new laws. Um, which brings me to the um, uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Uh, so today is, what, November 5th? Yeah, remember, uh, remember. Yeah. Um, And November uh, 3rd, the Senate uh, was unable to um, pass a cloture vote on this bill. And cloture is just a fancy way of saying we're going to vote on whether we're going to vote on the bill. Yeah. Yeah. And it it is a very unique Senate tool that's used as a very dull instrument uh, to stop things. And it's not in the original Constitution. Let's make sure everyone remembers that. Yes. Um, So uh, there it sits. there's at, there's at least 40 bills um, in some phase of the legislative process in Congress that are related to elections one way or in the other. But this bill has the best chance of moving forward. Okay. Uh, but it is uh, not not moving forward and for a vote uh, in the Senate. Yeah. So um, it, it's a moment. Yeah, it's a moment in uh, U.S. history, and it's one that I want people to really focus on. Um, and I think that a, that the very, very vet, best vet, bad, excuse me, is for everyone to focus on amending and sharpening the Voting Rights Act. Um, last time I talked to you, we were chatting about H.R. 1, which is a very, very popular bill, um, which is also going nowhere, which is a uh, very comprehensive bill. And sweeping in its nature. And the, many, yeah. Oh, everything from let's make Election Day a holiday to campaign finance reform and then everything in between. Um, and only supported by one Party. It, the Voting Rights Act famously has uh, been written and supported and amendment amended on a bipartisan basis uh, until now. Mm-hmm. Um, but HR one is not not going anywhere. But it was um, v- very very popular with people because it included a lot of things that Washington State already does. Sure. Uh, matter of fact, just about everything. Um, 
I made a list of uh, a color-coded chart of all of the elements of HR1 <laughs> compared to Washington State, and uh, it's just a brick of color because the only thing that is included in HR1 that uh, Washington State does not have is a ban on corporations from spending for campaign purposes unless the corporation has established a process for determining that uh, the political will of its shareholders. So that's the only thing that we don't have in Washington state law. And hmm. a fun fact, on the same day that um, Brnovich versus D.C. Um, ruling came out, the Supreme Court also released its opinion about campaign finance reform in, um, let's see, what was it? Americans for Prosperity. Yeah. And it's really interesting to look at those two opinions side by side because Brnovich um, – Brnovich uh, wants provides a very very low bar for passing whatever bad law you want, <laughs> and but when it comes to campaign finance reform and Americans for Prosperity, it sets an extremely high bar for um, uh, being able to spend money in elections. So it 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 always it just kind of rankles me. It's a yeah. funny comparison. So we have a situation where the teeth have been pulled out of the Voting Rights Act. Yes, uh, between Shelby and be, Bernovich. Between all of those mm -hmm. things that, that, that you've been talking about. Um, and another situation where the best option to repair it um, can't get out of the Senate filibuster, even though there would probably be 51 votes if yes. you count uh, count the vice president to pass it we can't we can't debate it is that is that where we are that's correct it doesn't seem like a good place it doesn't seem like a good place um, but we're just looking over the edge of the cliff we're, we're, we're not in free fall yet okay um, um, and in the meantime uh, what do we do because that's uh, people I talk to always want to spring into action what do I do uh, what do I do question, what do yeah. I do um, uh, well, uh, share share your opinions with your elected representatives in Congress, okay. um, and in the meantime, help us hold down our corner of the tent in Washington State. So, election administrators like myself are um, we know that our success in Washington State uh, is going to do nothing but help in future legal cases, um, providing uh, evidence and hopefully confidence evidence in courts and confidence in Congress that you can have a very permissive but secure electoral system. So we are everything that HR wanted to be, um, sans one thing, and uh, being able to execute with perfection and um, with stability is going to help everybody. So yeah. well, um, let's take a break and then when we come back we'll talk about uh, Washington. Yeah. Okay. Stick around. Hello, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma, and a proud Alaska Airlines frequent flyer. Everything in our day-to-day -day life seems to involve more hassle these days. So it feels good that Alaska Airlines is making something easier. Alaska has made air travel virtually touch-free. Here's the rundown. When you check your bags at the airport, you won't have to touch the kiosk to print your bag tags. They'll print when you scan your boarding passes, or you can even print them from home. When you board your flight, they can scan your boarding pass from as much as six feet away. Now, the lawyers want me to say that this might not work if the lighting in the terminal is low or if the print quality of your boarding pass isn't great. But still, kudos to Alaska for trying to keep physical distancing at every point of the trip. And don't forget, you can pre-order your meal from your phone or from your computer. 
You can even put your card on file in case you decide mid-flight to splurge on a local wine or beer. Get your drink without pulling out your card. Now that's the perfect blend of convenience, safety, and temptation. Those are the thoughtful details that make me choose Alaska Airlines every time I fly domestically. When you're ready to travel, rest easy, because Alaska's got this. Skip the travel sites and visit alaskaair.com to book your next flight. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for making travel smoother, and thank you for your support, Channel 253. We are back uh, with Julie Anderson, but I'm going to take a moment to thank our sponsor and to thank the members of Channel 253 whose uh, support for $4 a month or $40 a year are really uh, keeping us going. Um, We have a special podcast hosted by producer Doug every Friday called Off the Record. That's members only. And we have a members only Slack channel, which, uh, man, this past week has been hopping with all of the local uh, political political news. So uh, if you're interested, go to channel253.com slash membership. And let's get back to Julie Anderson uh, to talk about um, how we in Washington relate to all of this. Because a lot of this, it's so easy, especially being in you know what many people would call a blue state, um, to think, well, all of this is, is out there, you know, somewhere else. How does this all affect us here? Uh, well, first, majorities can change. Uh, we've got great electoral law in Washington state. Um, but we'll be electing a new secretary of state sometime soon. Uh, We're constantly churning through state lawmakers, um, so things can change. Um, And if we want to be able to bring legal challenges to um, changes that might have a disparate effect and discriminate against people, uh, we we need a federal – we need a federal system that makes sense uh, where courts can can rule on statutory. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I don't see that happening. Um, we haven't had any uh, serious attempts in the Washington state legislature, despite despite the uh, Stop the Steal movement, um, to roll back uh, Washington's um, election system. Um, I, I, we're, we're really fortunate in that regard, but you never want to leave things to chance. So in the meantime, it's up to us to really demonstrate how effective and secure our election system can be um, and to band together with uh, states like Colorado that have very similar positions, uh, um, very similar procedures and Mm -hmm. laws Mm -hmm. um, and other states and make sure that we've got a great track record, which we do. Um, And then also evangelizing um, and Spreading, spreading that good news. Yeah, absolutely. It does seem like, especially it was just a few years ago that we expanded some of the the procedures yeah. where you know, yeah. if, if I, you know, lay registration same day, some of these things. Twenty eighteen was a great year, and still, and, I, and still, we're delivering free and fair elections. Is that accurate? Yes, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, and tw- safe. Twenty eighteen was a big year, and a credit to the Washington State Legislature and the thirty nine county auditors for you know we're the implementers, and the legislature designed some some good best practices that we could implement uh, securely and effectively. And they really worked with us to make sure that whatever they passed could get done. Um, 
everything from same day registration that you mentioned, um, allowing 16 and 17 year olds to pre-register. And now we've got a rule that allows 17 year olds to actually cast a ballot in a primary if they're going to be 18 by the general. Oh. Used to be used to be that you could vote if you were going to be 18 by the general. But the feeling was um, those 18 year olds were going to have to choose between the top two candidates that they had no um, say in, say uh... in, in, in filtering. Um, so they now have the ability and it, it is it is very tricky on our end to be able to do this, sure. but, but we're glad to do it, especially if it's going to raise turnout or increase engagement with the young voters. Yeah, I'm really I'm really thankful for our, our top two primary system. It, oh, yes. it's, it feels to me just really um, it's it's a it's a it's a good way for your two, you know, uh, November folks to represent that region, whether that is the state, whether that is a legislative district. But like if it's a if it's a super blue area, then, you know, like here's two different Democrats to pick from. If it's a super red area, who's, here's two different Republicans to pick from. Like that's a really great way to do it. It's, it's as opposed to like you always know that this Republican is going to lose to this Democrat or this Democrat is going to lose to this Republican. Like it seems it seems really like a great way to do it. Well, we don't have time or, or I don't have time to talk about redistricting, which oh, is which right. is which There's is which is part going. which is part of uh, part of that scenario that you just described. But the top two part uh, primary is fabulous. And I, I think of it as treating um, voters like adults mm -hmm. um, and allowing them to discern rather than just digesting um, a, a party ticket. Um, yeah. and, and Washington has a long history of that. We, we like to be very independent and not beholden to a particular party. Um, so we have, we, we've had that for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and now we've got prepaid postage. Um, and just this last session, the legislature ended prison gerrymandering um, in redistricting. Um, and also, um, uh, also ended uh, felon disenfranchisement. So now they've clarified the law. Election administrators are so happy that um, people that are discharged from incarceration for a felony are immediately uh, re-enfranchised. All they have to do is register to vote. It doesn't matter if they are still um, uh, uh, on community, you know, in in, yeah. in a community setting. Whether they've got fines to pay, um, it's basically if if the prison isn't feeding you breakfast every morning, <laughs> uh, you are out in the community and you are free to register to vote. And that is a much sharper line, much. Uh, cleaner to enforce. Um, and that'll go into effect uh, January 1st. And so that is the last gemstone in this, uh, you know, really kind yeah. of perfect ring of democracy in Washington state. I was going to ask what else should we be looking at doing or something like that. But uh, yeah. In terms of election law, uh, I nothing on the horizon. One of the things that we want to do is just let this sit. Yeah. I, I said earlier in the show, uh, we need to hold down our corner of the tent. Um, and be a model and provide testimony and evidence that this is safe and secure and it's not an imposition. Mm -hmm. So we, we're just going to we're just going to stick with where we are. I, although uh, legislators may have um, other ideas, I know that ranked choice voting is um, going to make another push in the state legislature. They've been um, they've been appearing and gaining more ground year after year for at least five years. So I think that's going to be a continued conversation. But I also think that lawmakers and advocates uh, are aware that. That is a substantial change um, and is a little foreign to voters and would require um, 
substantial lead time for election right. administrators. Right. I, I actually am, am not opposed to it. Per, uh, this is me speaking as just, you know, Eric Hanberg here. But I actually think it's interesting, especially if that is a place where I think it's interesting to have party identification next to a name. That was one of the things that when Pierce County tried this previously, I always felt that it's like if you're if you're not a very informed voter, you see seven names and you're like, well, I don't know. But if you could at least put, you know, their party preference or something like that, that might tell someone a lot. You know, the classic example is someone who wanted to vote for Nader, but if it's not Nader, Gore or something like that. Like that to me seems like a, a reasonable kind of time where, where something like that might be appropriate to, to have. We'll have to do a follow-up show on ranked choice voting. Yeah. yeah. I, I know New York City just uh, had their had their first election mm-hmm. with it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Alaska's on their way. Oh, really? They're doing statewide. Yeah. The, the other thing that I've heard an interesting idea around is a federal um, amendment to the Constitution as a proactive, uh, everyone has the right to vote, and that that might help so that people aren't turned away. And it's like, we will take your vote, and then we'll figure out, are you eligible, all of those things, but they're not turned away. And I always thought that was an interesting idea as a way to um, put, you know, put more uh, onus on the on the state to figure out how to actually, you know, to count it. Um, so and, that could be interesting too. And, and in practical effect, that's what Washington State does mm. with same day registration. So uh, if if yeah, somebody pres- if somebody presents themselves at any point in the process to register to vote, and um, they can't provide one of the points of information that we need to verify their identity or their residence, then. Um, the registration is provisional and we'll still mail them a ballot and they can vote it and return it, but we're not going to count it until they clear up the registration. That makes a ton and of sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah funny that. <laughs> we're, we're pretty darn reasonable yeah. and logical. I, you know, I, I, I think that that's uh, often what gets lost when people want to paint paint our election procedures as being uh, blue or red right. um, is they lose track of the logic uh, there's 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 a reason we do all of this, and um, and certainly it's for the good of the voter, um, but it also from an election administration standpoint is orderly and sequential, and so it's no trouble to us. Yeah, because we're just following a flowchart. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a simple decision tree <laughs> and a lot of paperwork. Right. That's all. That's all. Yeah. Well, um, Washington, of course, is going through. Um, an appointment process for a new secretary of state who would help determine how some of these things are handled. And I have seen your name in in print as someone who uh, would be a great choice for it. Uh, is that something you're interested in? Uh, yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I, I will just say as a Pierce County resident, that's very exciting to hear. Hometown girl makes oh, good. I think that's we'll, really cool. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I think I'm on the short list. Well, that's uh, very exciting. Anything else you want to say about that? Um, I will say that the governor is going to have a very uh, has a very difficult uh, decision and a situation on his hands. Adding to the list of firsts in his administration in his tenure is this is the first time he's had to appoint a statewide official. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, that it, I think the last time this happened was in 1983 where there was an appointment made for um, Secretary of State. So it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, lots of people came out of the woodwork. You know, what What I'm hearing is about 50 people put their hat in the ring. And uh, I think the governor is trying to be deliberate. But he's got a lot of other considerations other than just merit, 
you know, experience and temperament, which I think are the most important things. He's he's got some political considerations to make um, that uh, that that's not my lane of traffic. Well, uh, if if he's listening, the Citizen Tacoma podcast doesn't normally make endorsements, but in this case, uh, here's an endorsement for uh, Julie Anderson. Pier- Pierce, Merit- County, Pierce County rocks. Mer- uh, what was it? Merit, temperament, and uh, experience. Yeah, triple threat. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Julie. And if people have uh, questions about any of this, where would you suggest that they uh, research or look out? Or, you know, go to. Oh, my goodness. I didn't bring references for the federal stuff, but, um, you know, the search bar bar in your browser is your friend, and it's all pretty top level. Um, But I would also say, you know, I mean, the SCOTUS blog is fun to prowl around on. But if you have uh, questions about security and access when it comes to Washington state elections, definitely give my office a call uh, or email us. And you can can start with PierceCountyElections.org. That'll take you to frequently answered, asked questions, and it'll also tell you how to call us and email us. And we're happy to give tours. Um, You know, one of the things you asked me in the break is if um, myself or our election staff are being harassed in any way. No. That's great. Um, So we are getting um, lots and lots of public record requests um, from organized kind of grassroots groups um, who have bought into the Stop the Steal narrative, which is unfortunate. But, um, you know, managing public records is part of our job. And um, I'm not going to say we're happy to do it (laughs) because I think it's kind of a fruitless mining expedition. But but we really do honor the Public Records Act and people's right to know. So we are being kept very busy with that. And then occasionally we get people um, emailing with really specific questions or assertions. um, And we're happy to meet people where they are, happy to give tours. And I have yet to have somebody go on a tour of the election center and spend time with us. And leave not feeling better. That's good to know. There, I think that um, I mean there, there's this palpable, there's there's an anger out there, and you see it expressed towards healthcare workers, and you know you hear on the that flight attendants are being harassed, um, and uh, restaurant hosts who ask for yeah, you know, and yeah. and so it's it's certainly not. Um, uh, unique to election workers, but it's really unfortunate that they're included in that. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that when people ask me whether election officials need special protections, that um, I don't think so. It's hard collecting taxes. It's hard being the the restaurant manager. It's it's just hard right now. Right. And um, we need an extra dose of kindness and patience. And I think the best protection that we can give is by providing that. Being patient and being kind, um, yeah, it comes with the job. Yeah. Well, thank you again for uh, for joining the podcast. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Citizen Tacoma is part of the Channel 253 podcast network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer? Interchangeable White Ladies, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.